0: We are in Numbers chapter 19, so let's open our Bibles there to the Old Testament book of Numbers. We've been studying this uh, Old Testament book for many months now, and I just want to begin tonight by reminding you that it's the Apostle Paul in the book of Corinthians that really writes a short synopsis of what we're reading. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the first 10 or so verses, Paul kind of wraps Exodus and Numbers up by talking about the children of Israel, and his, his example of those people there was that they were what we've learned. They're whining, they're complaining, they're disobedient. They're really young. They're young in their walk of faith. They've been 400 years captive as, as slaves, so they're learning. God is teaching them. They've only been out a year or so by this time, year and a half, maybe, and uh, they're at a place where God has is, is brought them. He's teaching them. He's set up authority, the priests, and they rebelled, as you know. Uh, Korah and his rebellion, uh, many of them have died. That's where, where we left off there in chapter uh, eight, 17 and 18. But it's Paul that says this. Notice the verse behind me on the screen. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things, the history of these people, that text of Scripture that Paul is referring to in 1 Corinthians 10, these things become our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. So Paul is saying that all the events that we're reading and studying about in the historical book of Numbers are written to give us a... Negative example. In other words, we're to look at what they did. We're to go, oh, we shouldn't do that and, and, and reject it and see that we are not to live like them. They're a, a negative example for us. Again, he l- uses the children of Israel. If you read in that section of Scripture, you'll read about their wandering. You'll read about the pillar uh, uh, leading and guiding them, the fire and the cloud. And so there's no doubt that Paul is writing about this specific group of Christians so that we would learn not to be like them. What were they like? They whined. They complained about their leadership. They didn't follow or obey the laws of God. God gave them commandments to follow. They, they rejected them right off the bat. And so these are examples. As we go through the book of Numbers, of things we are not to be doing, and, and we've been given those, those uh, uh This portion of scripture again so that we'll know what not to do and how to benefit our lives as we walk before the Lord. So these people in Numbers, they rebelled against the Lord, they rebelled against Moses and Aaron, but the rebellion really wasn't just against men, it was against God. There's no doubt about it, they were rebelling against God, and God took care of them, didn't he? Swallowing Korah and those other two families up, their tents and all their people, they just got the earth opened up and swallowed them, and the earth closed again, If you recall, miraculously back in chapter 16. So God took care of Korah, and then all the wannabe priests, remember the 250, it was priests. They, we can be priests too. We have golden censures. We can dress up and be priests too, and God says, okay, bring your priestly stuff. Get dressed, and I'll meet you tomorrow, and you remember what happened. So God burns them up, and then Because they had rebelled and some of the people rebelled with them. And so God set a plague like a fire. It was really a plague, a disaster. And 14,700 people died until Aaron ran in between and became the mediator and said, God, stop. And so all of this death is going on in the previous verses. Why? Because of their disobedience, because of their murmuring, their complaining, and their rejection of their leaders, Moses and Aaron. And God says, "Listen, you don't choose the leadership. I choose the leadership. You think you're a priest, you're not a priest. And if you want to step across the line, anyone else want to step across this line. It's almost like God dares them in a sense, but he's meted out his judgment on all this disobedience in these past few chapters. Now we come to chapter 18 and God reestablishes Aaron as priest. How? With the rod. Remember the rod? Everybody get your rod. Come into it. We put him in the house of the Lord. Only one budded and bare it bore leaves and fruit. It was Aaron's rod, identifying him as God's leader. It was a, it was a anointing. It was God's a verification of his ministry as high priest. So you have all of this death going on. Then you have the, the re of the priest and, and Moses' leaders. And now we come to chapter. 19, where God is now going to command this act of purity. There's dead bodies everywhere. You got you to get that in your mind. There's 14,700 people that just died, plus Korah's house. There's a scar in the earth where they used to live. There's been rebellion in the camp, and God is going to command this really important ritual of purification for the people. And it really makes sense. That's what I've called or entitled our study, Purification of the People. Really interesting chapter, so stick with me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight, and we do thank you for our fellowship before service, the spaghetti time, and and just fellowship, sitting with one another and talking and sharing life stories and our journeys. I just thank you, Father, for this fellowship, the love they have for one another, our worship team who... Uh, work so hard to uh, lead us in worship, the sound and and lights and presentation team and security and Sunday school, the, all the, those that work, the ushers, everyone that comes together to make our services happen. And we're thankful, Lord. I pray that you would open our hearts now to receive your word. We're hungry. We're spiritually hungry to hear from you. And I pray that you would satisfy us, Lord, with this, this old chapter from Numbers that has... Application for us today. Help us to see it, Lord, and apply it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's begin reading here in verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect, on which a yoke has never come. And you shall give it to Eliezer the priest that he may take it outside the camp and it shall be slaughtered before him and Eliezer the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight, its hide, its flesh, its blood and its offal, which is the dung shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet or a scarlet thread or scarlet cloth and cast them into the fire while the heifer is burning. Then the priest shall wash his clothes, shall bathe in water. Afterwards, he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. And the one who burns, it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening." Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer. So the heifer has been totally burned with all these other items and store them outside the camp in a clean place. And they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the winter, or of me, the water of purification. It is, these ashes are for purification from sin. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. Now, Again, just a reminder to give context to what we're learning here. Within the camp, there are basically, there's three groups of people. There's the priests who do the duties. The high priest, I believe Aaron and his family, Moses would be included in that. And then you have the Levites who support the priest. Remember, we've been learning about how the Levites were called to support the priest. And then the other group are the regular folks, the rest of the congregation, all the people, the whiners, the complainers, the the, 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 the regular people. So you really have almost two groups. You have the, the, the priests and Levites, and then you have... The people, that's what we're dealing with. And then you have the inside and outside the camp. That's the inside where the tabernacle was, where the, inside the tent where the, the altar of incense, where the sacrifices took place, where the tabernacle itself was, and then outside the tabernacle where the people lived. And they lived in order, remember, from our study in the book of Exodus. They were very ordered. All the camps had their banner. The People knew where they lived. They lived in a, a very orderly fashion. God had taken these slaves, essentially, and brought them to a place and ordered their whole lives, setting them up in camps and setting them up in family groups under banners. It's a very ordered life that they're living, but they're outside the camp. Inside the camp was the priestly duties in the tabernacle. Outside the camp were the people where all this death has now taken place. Again, the death of Korah and those, those people, the 14,700 people in one day. And so the children of Israel, as they're wandering through the wilderness, death is everywhere. Death is all around them because of what's been taking place around them. So God is showing them how to respond to death. This is interesting. How do you respond to death? What do you do in the camp? Remember, these people aren't, um, you know, hesitate to use the word civilized, but they've been slaves. And now they're Camping. Their camp, there's two and a half million, maybe three million people wandering together. This is a huge group of people. And so God has to order them. God has to have certain leadership over them. That's why he's, he's really been strict about who they're to obey. They don't pick their own leadership. They're following God's appointed leaders, Moses, Aaron, and the priesthood, Eliezer, the son of, of Aaron. And, and the Levites were there to support all the work that God wants done. So now there's death in the camp. How do you deal with that? What do you do? And the main reason that God has to teach them about what to do with death is because they just came from Egypt. And in Egypt, they did all kinds of cultic, weird rituals with death. They would bring food to the dead. They would burn uh, uh uh, uh sacrifices, animals to, so that their ashes would go to the nether world,, you know, to where the, the great spirit might be. You know the, the Egyptians had really strange occultic practices about death. And so God now is going to teach these people how to deal with, with death when they come from these strange cultures. Also there's the, the physical danger, of having dead bodies laying around rotting in the desert around the people's camps, you know, that would be a, a health hazard—typhoid and, and whatnot—all uh, around the people. So God is going to teach them how to deal with that. So there's strict laws about isolating those people who touch a dead body. We've already seen those laws in Exodus, some in Numbers, but now uh, there's a different thing going on with all this death be- as a result of. God's judgment, the 14,700, Korah and his family, all the people that have died just recently. So God wants his people to understand about death and how to respond to death in the correct way. And so he's given these strict laws. If you come in contact with a body, what you need to do? Or if your neighbor dies in a tent and you need to drag his body out and, and bury it, how do you deal with yourself after you've touched the dead body? So God is dealing with these people about purification uh, um, and and separating themselves from from the dead. But there's a real interesting section of Scripture here that's really very important for us to understand. And it has to do with the purification by the red heifer. You notice the red heifer here in verse 1. It says, this ordinance which the, law, the, Lord, the Lord has commanded speak to the children of Israel that they bring the red heifer without blemish in which there is no defect on which a yoke has never come. So a couple interesting things about this red heifer. Number one, if you haven't been on a farm or if you weren't born, if you were born in the city, you probably don't even know that a heifer is a female cow. So every offering that they've made up until this point is, is what? It's a bull. It's a male. It's a male goat. It's a male. This is a female. So this makes this offering radically different than anything else that's happened before. It's a female cow, which is really, I'm saying the same thing over again there. But um, this, this cow is now going to be offered for a sin offering. These people need a sin offering. Why? Because they've been involved in sin. How do you justify that, Pastor Lee? Well, they rebelled and 14,000 of them died. And most of them agreed with what was going on. So they are now needing a sin offering because they're walking in the desert. They don't have time to, uh, uh, let's all stop because Fred or Jaime just sinned. We have to stop, set up the temple, bring everybody in, set up the all the apparatus to sacrifice one animal for one person. How are they going to deal with sin as they wander through the desert on a march, as they move from place to place? How are they going to deal with it? This is how they're going to deal with it. God is going to provide a way through the ashes of this red heifer that they can deal with sin. So this is a sin offering, but it's interesting. It's a heifer. It's a red heifer at that. Not a goat, not a ram, not a lamb, but a cow. And and not only a cow, but a cow that's never been impregnated. That's what a heifer is, never had a a calf. So this this red heifer is very uh, important. The red heifer had to be pure. It had to be uh, inspected. It had to be undefiled. It couldn't have pulled a plow. So this is not a calf. It's a full-grown cow, but it's never been impregnated, and it's young. It's the red heifer, and those are the requirements for it. Why is it a red heifer? Well, most Bible scholars believe, and I think we could all agree, that red represents blood. Blood is what has to be shed in order for sin to be eradicated. It's a sin is, is the condition of this heart of man. And the only remedy for man's sin is blood. And so you have this red heifer here. Normally the animals, you know, the lamb didn't have to be red. The bull didn't have to be red. But this animal has to be red. And its uh, red heifer had to be without blemish, never used a plow. Again, this would make this particular beast very valuable, very rare. A red heifer, one that was a certain age, one that had never been impregnated. I mean, it's, there's there's a lot of criteria. So this would be a real valuable uh, animal. And then notice in verse three that this very rare red heifer is not offered at the altar. Every other animal was brought into the camp to the altar of sacrifice, where the priest would then slaughter the animal. And take care of the entrails, burn parts of it, sprinkle some of the blood for the sin of the people, the family, the nation. But this animal is interesting. It's not offered at the altar. It's offered outside the camp. Verse 3, you shall give it to Eliezer, the priest, that he may take it outside the camp. It shall be slaughtered before him. So the priest is to watch and make sure that this was going to happen just the way God prescribed, slaughtered before the priest. And then the priest was to take some of the blood with his finger. So he's not taking a bunch of blood. He's not taking all of the blood, which is another interesting thing. The other animals had to be bled out. They had to be completely bled out before the the animal was butchered. In this case, just a little bit of the blood was used, and then it was sprinkled. So the blood was brought back to the tent of meeting or wherever the tent would have been assembled and it was sprinkled there. Again, it's a representation that sin has taken place and there needs to be a blood sacrifice to cleanse the people. So that's what the priest would do. He would sprinkle the blood seven times. Seven is the number of completion. So seven. He does it seven times in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, it's really interesting that this all happens outside of the tent of meeting where the sin of the people occurred. The sacrifice of the red heifer takes place outside the camp where the sin uh, happened because that's where the rebellion was. That's where Korah started the rebellion. That's where the guys that thought they could be priests came from all the tents to, to uh, Moses and, and God judged them. So, all of that happened outside in the previous chapters that we've read. So the high priest, Eleazar is, is appointed. He's the one watching over this whole ceremony, sprinkling the blood for sin. The blood died, or the animal died, and his blood was shed outside the camp. And this is really important because there's so many similar, similarities to uh, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ here, where Jesus was crucified not inside the temple or inside the gates of Jerusalem, but where was he crucified? Outside. And I, I, that's my first little hint here. I want you to notice as we go through this, you'll see a lot of similarities. This red heifer, this unusual animal that was sacrificed, perfect, spotless animal that was pure in every way that's sacrificed for sin outside the camp. And so the animal died for the sin of the people. Verse 5 Then the heifer shall be burned. In the sight of Eleazar the priest, its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its offal or dung, which is pretty awful, shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood. This is interesting. Verse six: cedar wood, hyssop, and a scarlet thread or a scarlet cloth, and cast them into the burning heifer. So after the, the sprinkling of blood at the door of the tabernacle, the, the priest is going to make sure all these other things happen. The animal died for the sins of the people on the outside. Then the complete carcass, including the blood, which is an unusual thing, is completely burnt. So the death of this red heifer provides now cleansing for the people that have sinned. They've sinned. They've rebelled against God. They rebelled against their leaders. There's death everywhere in the camp, and God is taking care. How do you deal with death? How do you deal with that? And so he's giving them these, this ceremony that's all symbolic of something that would come in the future in such a beautiful way. And I love what happens here. The priest was to use cedar wood. Cedar wood is, if you've noticed, if you go into the mountains, in my backyard, I've got probably 30 cedar trees. And they're beautiful trees, they smell so good when I burn them in my fireplace. Cedar, you, you it's aromatic. It's a beautiful, aromatic wood. And then there's hyssop, notice. Hyssop was always used as a medicine or for purification. Hyssop, as you recall, was offered to Jesus on the cross. Um, in Psalm 51, David said, cleanse me with hyssop, remember, because hyssop was used as, a, as kind of a medicinal representation. And then scarlet material, either a thread, yarn, Cloth doesn't matter, but a red cloth, very expensive. These three elements were thrown on the burning carcass with the blood, everything, the dung, everything, the whole animal is being burned and consumed by fire. And then these elements were also added to that. All of them have significance. All three of those elements the cedar wood, Jesus was crucified on what? On a cross, a wooden cross. The hyssop, again, he was offered hyssop. Jesus was the sinless sacrifice. He, he was a sacrifice without blemish, without fault, just like this red heifer. The cedar wood, again, reminds us of the cross. Hyssop was used in the sacrifice, not only here, but with Jesus on the cross. And then scarlet, the color of blood. It, it, it's just a picture of cleansing, the cleansing of the blood. I love these beautiful illustrations, symbols, maybe we could call them, of, of what would happen in the future with the coming of Christ. It reminds me of Hebrews 9. Notice this verse behind me. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Jesus We're saved by the blood of Jesus. We should sing about the blood of Jesus because it's in the blood of Jesus Christ that we have redemption, expiation. He purchased, he bought, he paid for your sin and mine. I can't, I couldn't afford it. I couldn't pay for my own sin. But I'm so glad Jesus did. We have a Savior. It was in his shed blood that we have remission of sin. And now we have this animal Totally consumed here. The red heifer sacrifice is really a picture of Jesus and his sacrifice for our sin. Death is a result of man's sin. How do you deal with death? All men are condemned, the Bible says, to separation from God. It's known as hell. But God has intervened and sent his son to die on the cross so that we don't have to die again. We can be born again so that we don't have to die twice. We're born twice, born naturally and born again, and we die once. Or you can be born once and die twice, die a physical death and then die by being condemned to death in, the, in hell forever. God has provided for us. It's so beautiful. Paul in Romans 5 says this. Notice behind me. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread like a disease to all men, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible declares. We're all sinners. We need salvation. What are we saved from? We're saved from judgment that is on all mankind apart from those that put their faith in Jesus Christ and believe in him. When you believe in Jesus Christ, all things pass away, all things become. You are taken out of Adam and sin and death, and you're placed in Christ spiritually. And in that place, you can walk confidently, knowing and living out the promises and living a holy life to honor the Lord without whining, complaining like these people. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Paul said. What a glorious life God's given us. Now, coming back here to Numbers, notice in verse 7, the purification of the priest. So you have the purification for sin, that's the red heifer, and then the priest now. The priest shall wash his clothes and bathe in water. Afterwards, he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place. So these ashes are now going to be used. They're going to be used for something in the future here. These ashes are important that have been uh, the whole animal, every part of it, even its dung has been burnt. The the hyssop has been put in, the scarlet thread, the cedar wood, all of it's been consumed. And now it makes a pile of, of ash that's picked up by a a Levite, a a high priest has picked this up, gathered it up, and put it aside in a clean place. And they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. That's what this is going to be called. They're going to put the ash in water and make a little... Have you ever heard of Ash Wednesday before? This is kind of where that comes from. They're going to make this little ash and water thing, and this is what's going to be uh, used for people that are walking along, and they do a sin, and they need to be cleansed by the Lord. They need to be washed, but the temple isn't set up. They can't set up, so they get some of this ash. It's called this water purification for purifying from sin. Verse 10, and the one who gathers the ash of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean till evening, and it shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells Among them, again, the ash from the burning carcass is going to be used, mixed with water for purification of the people, the sacrifice, the ritual. It removed the uncleanness of the people caused by contact with all the dead bodies that were laying all around. This was was a way to deal with that, again, with all those people that had died. Now, notice in verse 11, we get the purification of the people. Here's how they implement it. He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean for seven days. He shall purify himself with the water on the third day, and on the seventh day, then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. So you had to follow this. You had to follow this this ritual of purification. Whoever touches the body of anyone... Who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still on him. So this is important. God's given this, this, this uh, new work that these people had to do. They had to do this work in order to be purified. They were required to do that if they touched a body. You, you woke up and Grandpa died in your tent. You have to touch his body. You have to deal with it. So then you would go through this work of purification that God had provided if you touched a dead body because God wants everyone coming into the tabernacle to be clean and of sin, pure. We're going to get into how God provides for that in the New Testament. You'll see. it's, it's, It's fantastic. But again, it's important to understand that that some of these people were unclean because they touched a dead body, that they weren't unclean because they were sinners. They were just unclean because they had touched the dead body. And because they touched the dead body, they were defiled. They couldn't fellowship. They were, they were banned from the walking in the tabernacle for these days. And they had to go through this purification on the third and the seventh day. And then finally they would be able to go and have fellowship again with the people of God the problem was that while people were again traveling through the de- desert and they came in contact with any of these things they couldn't just stop as i've said so they're going to get go to the priest they're going to find where that ash was and the ash was going to be mixed with water and that would be used for the individual cleansing for that moment for that time now here's the parallel in the new testament this is where the, I love the old and the new and how they merge together. It's in John chapter 13, where Jesus is in the, the upper room with his disciples. And he's giving them last-minute instructions. During that Passover time, that was, that was hours and hours long. It wasn't just a real quick, you know, happy meal from McDonald's. You know They ate and then, and then Judas went out. This, this conversation goes on and on. And during that conversation, as you recall... Jesus goes to each one of his disciples and he bows down before his disciples and he takes a basin of water and he begins to do what, you remember? He washed their feet. That was a symbolic gesture for Jesus showing them that they needed to be pure. As they walk in this world, as they lived out their lives, they would bump into sin and run into things. Even if it was a dead body they had to deal with, they had to deal with their sin. And God always has required that. He, he, re, he requires you to deal with your sin. And so Jesus is purifying his disciples before he is falsely accused, arrested, and crucified. Peter, as you remember, when Jesus approached Peter, Peter says, "I no, no, Lord, you're not touching me. I'm a sinner. Don't you dare touch me. And Jesus, remember, Jesus said, he goes, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part of me. And what did Peter do? He jumped in the bowl. I mean, he said, wash my whole body, you remember? And Jesus said, calm down, Peter. All I need to do is wash your feet. John 13, verse 8, here it is. Peter said, you you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I do not wash, you have no part in me. Again, the whole idea here is that each day of your life, just like the disciples, you 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 see something that's sinful. You hear something that's sinful. You experience somebody w- with you, around you. Maybe it's not you, but you experience it. And, and that filth, that sin infiltrates you in a sense. And you need to be washed. You need to be cleansed from that sin. I, I love this picture. It's so beautiful. In the scriptures, the New Testament and the Old Testament confirm that the water is not only a picture of the Holy Spirit, but it's a symbol of the word of God. And if you remember, men, in Ephesians chapter 5, as husbands, we're called to wash our wives with the word of God. That's our priestly duty as a husband. That the word of God has this ability to Cleanse and renew and wash. Have you ever found that to be true in your life? You, you feel dirty. You come back from a, a long day. You've been exposed to some things that, oh, you just want to get them out of your mind, and it's really hard. So what do you do? You pick up the Word, and you begin to read. And the, re- the Word begins to wash and cleanse your mind and cleanse your heart. If you don't do that, you should as a believer. You should spend time in the Word of God and in prayer. But it's that reading God's Word that really does that work of washing us. I love what John says in 1 John. Notice this verse behind me. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's it's up to us to make a choice to walk in the light. It's up to us to see that sin, I shouldn't look at it. That's something I really shouldn't listen to. Or, boy, I've been defiled today. I need to get home and read the scriptures, read the word. I am so grateful that I don't have to wait. I, I Like today, I studied all day today. I have the, the blessing of just reading all day. So I don't come home to do that. I do that here. And the Lord convicts me just like he convicts you. And we have the word of God to wash and cleanse us. We have this active um, word that whenever we sin if we confess our sin first john 10 9 if we confess our sin he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us wash us from what all unrighteousness all of it hallelujah i need that i need that cleansing i need that washing and so do these people here Notice in verse 17, we have the process of purification. And for unclean person, for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for purification from sin and running water. So it had to be fresh water, running water, shall be put on them in a vessel. A clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water, sprinkle it on the tent and on the vessel and on the persons who were there. So if you had a dead body, this this is how you would cleanse that person or the pr- person that touched the dead body on the vessel, on the person or on the one who touched the bone, the slain, the dead or the grave. The clean person, verse 19, shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and the seventh day. And the seventh day he shall purify himself, wash his clothes, bathe in water. So not in the and water, but just regular water. So this ash water was just used just a sprinkling on these people. And it was a representation. I'm sure it left a little bit of ash on them. I'm sure they saw it when it hit their flesh. And it was a reminder to them that they're being purified, that they needed to be cleansed, they needed to be washed. So that's the process there. Again, the ashes of the red heifer, the wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet. All of that speaks of the work of Jesus on the cross. Everything that he did to provide payment for our sin, to to remove our sin, to make us clean, to wash us so that we could be holy before the Lord. And this whole process of cleansing, again, is just a beautiful picture that becomes reality when you read. Notice this verse here, Hebrews 9. For if the blood of bulls and goats, and notice the ashes of a heifer, this is Hebrews chapter 9. Sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Isn't that a beautiful verse? God has provided everything for us as as believers. And then notice verse 20. But the man who is unclean and does not purify himself... That person shall be cut off from among the assembly because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of purification has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean. Again, this just shows you that uncleanness cannot correct itself. Something must be done. The unclean man has to become clean, again, by the method The very narrow method, the gate, the narrow way that God's provided. There's only one way. There's only ever been one way. It's always God's way. God provided a way. He commanded the way. He's led the way. It's up to us to follow the way. You have to do what God says in order to be clean. A man couldn't have his own scheme. He couldn't be his own priest. He couldn't do his own thing to get cleaned. I don't need you, I don't need the priesthood, I don't need the church, I don't need anybody. I'm just going to live my life on my own. It's not the way it's done. Do you know that Jesus died for the church? Even the church that you're a part of tonight. Jesus died for the church. He loves it and he wants us to assemble in it. He wants us to be built up in it so that we can go out and do the work of the ministry, telling others that don't know Christ, that are dying in their sin, about Jesus our, our dear, dear brother Dan Birch, his brother Carl died two nights ago. I talked to Dan, and, and Dan had a brother that rejected Christ. And Dan said to me, he said, you know what? He's had every opportunity. Amen. And he, look at what this says. Notice again here in verse 20, in light of that, but the man who is unclean and does not purify himself that person shall be what? Cut off. This is just another example throughout the Bible that shows man's responsibility. There is human responsibility for a man, man's volition. God is sovereign. God's provided a way. God elects. God chooses. God does the work. Man has nothing to do with that. But man has to put his faith in Christ. You have to do something, just like these people had to do something. Man is responsible to act through obedience to God's mandate. That's human responsibility. And then notice how the chapter closes here in verse 21. It shall be a perpetual statute for them. He who sprinkles the water of purification shall wash his clothes. And he who touches the water of purification shall be unclean until evening. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and the person who touches it shall be unclean until evening. So the uncleanness was easily transmitted to whoever came in contact with it. So in other words, be careful who you come in contact with. As a believer, we're to walk holy. We're to, we're to be faithful men and women of God. We're not to spend our time with those people that would defile us. That doesn't mean we reject every person that you, you can't ever visit your aunt who's a heathen. I had to, I relatives, that, that did, and I ate thanksgiving with him for years, and I don't have any regrets. That's not what that means. But if you're spending more of your time with the world than you are with your brothers and sisters in Christ, the world's going to start rubbing off on you. That sin is going to be transmitted to you because you've come in contact. But here's the beauty of this. You can, with God's provision, be cleansed again. You can be just as Jesus cleansed his disciples, that daily purification, that picture of we can be cleansed again as we come to the Lord in prayer, as we come in confession to the Lord, as we read his word and it washes us, we can be cleansed in our daily walk, just as these people had a need to be cleansed in their daily walk. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. Oh, how grateful I am for the blood of Jesus. And again, I want to close by the verse behind me on the screen. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? One more final thought. If you are aware or if you like to uh, watch Israel very closely, you'll know that the Temple Institute, I've actually walked into the Temple Institute. It's right next to the, the Wailing Wall there in Jerusalem. The Temple Institute is, is set up by the Jews because they want to rebuild a temple. In the last 10 years, I, they're breeding... The red heifer. The red heifer is a very important animal because they haven't had ashes for 2,000 years because they haven't had the temple. They want to build that temple so bad, and they have this red heifer, and it's ready. You can go online and look up the red heifer and read about it. I guess there's some sites that probably would be strange, but there's a couple I could suggest to you if you want to know. But this is real. They want that red heifer because they know it's that red heifer that's burnt and consumed in those ashes that will separate them from their sin because of this portion of Scripture we're reading tonight. But you and I have a better than a red heifer. We have the real thing. We have the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm so grateful. I'm going to let you out early tonight because I know you're tired. So let's pray. Father, what a blessing to study your word. What a beautiful, beautiful truth that we see here in the Old Testament. Your provision for your people as they traveled in the wilderness and came in contact with dead bodies and their own sin. They needed forgiveness. And it all pictures, it's it's all illustrative of Jesus. And we're so grateful tonight. Father, I pray for any here that have never given their heart to Christ. They're listening to me, and they're wondering, and they're thinking, and you're speaking to them. You're revealing Jesus Christ to to them. You're revealing the Savior to them. Won't you come to Christ tonight? Won't you put your faith in Jesus? Jesus. He died on the cross of Calvary for your sin. He bled, and his blood will pay for your sin if you'll come to him by faith. I pray that'll happen, Lord, whether through hearing, viewing, or through those that are here this evening. Lord, do the work that only you can do in salvation, bringing men and women and boys and girls to Christ, saving them and giving them eternal hope. Thank you, God, for this history lesson tonight. We thank you, Father, for your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's in his name that we pray.